From the Moan Broadcast Center at KPCC, this is The Frame. I'm John Horn. On today's show, multiplexes are closed around the globe, but the real crisis for movie theater owners may yet be to come. Then, a filmmaker revisits his childhood summer camp where a future generation of disability rights activists first met. I was talking to a woman saying, yeah, there's this film I'm working on. It's about the summer camp for the handicapped. And she said, aww. I said, no, no, I went there because I heard I could smoke dope with the counselors. And movie theaters are closed, but what about drive-ins? That's today in The Frame. We'll be right back. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Will Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. Tens of thousands of movie theaters around the globe are closed for the foreseeable future. The major studios have postponed many upcoming theatrical releases, and distributors are either accelerating the premieres of their films on video on demand and streaming platforms or bypassing theatrical releases entirely. It's an existential crisis for movie theater owners who already were facing flat or declining admissions in North America before the global pandemic. Patrick Corcoran is the vice president and chief communications officer for the National Association of Theater Owners. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. How are you? I'm well. Let's first talk about the scope of the problem. John Fithian, the head of NATO, said, quote, overnight, we went from an industry that makes $15 billion a year to one that is not going to make a penny for three or four months, unquote. So what does that mean for your member companies? Well, what that means is they need help. Uh, just like any public-facing business right now that's closed out of, you know, sense of public responsibility or because of government action, they're not bringing in any revenue, which means they can't pay their employees, they can't pay their bills, they can't pay their rent or their mortgage. So we need help from the government, uh, direct help to our employees so that they can be sustained through however long this crisis lasts. Uh, Also loan guarantees for our members and small business administration loans for our members so that companies large and small all across this country can get through this crisis so they can open their doors when the crisis is passed and be there to serve their communities and to have jobs available there for their employees when they come back. How many people, theater staff, you know, people who work the concessions, ticket office, maybe do the cleaning, have been laid off? Overall, we employ about 150,000 people in the U.S., and the vast majority of them are laid off. Uh, Executives and management, uh, you know, at at headquarters are working with no pay in a lot of cases, trying to talk to banks, talking to their landlords and, and all the people that they owe, you know, money to. And as far as, you know, without revenue coming in, we simply cannot pay our workers. On top of that, there's another big issue, and that is that major studios, including Universal, Disney, and Warner Brothers so far, are postponing releases or collapsing the normal time period between a theatrical release and a film's appearing on video, on demand, or streaming. And to me, that feels like a potentially fundamental shift in how movies are released and I will argue, could be an even greater threat to theaters than the coronavirus in and of itself. 
What is NATO's position on that? Our position on that is we are in close communication with the studios as are our members. And in a crisis situation, people do things that they would not normally do and will not continue to do when the crisis is over. We understand, since theaters are not open, <laughs> and movies that were in theaters a week and a half ago were doing fine, but are suddenly now taking in no revenue, the studios need that revenue. So if they have to move those titles into the home quicker, we understand completely. There's no theatrical window at stake because there's no theatrical right now. In terms of titles that are delayed, we respect those decisions to delay them to later in the year or into the next year, with the exception of two movies, one which is Trolls World Tour from Universal, which decided to go straight to video. Uh, we think that was a mistake. They probably should have rescheduled, as they did with uh, Fast and Furious 9. Sometimes they're going to have to make money and hand them off to streaming. That's going to happen occasionally. But the vast majority of titles from the vast majority of studios are merely delayed. We're talking with Patrick Corcoran from the National Association of Theater Owners. So NATO said of Universal's decision to bypass a theatrical release for Trolls World Tour, quote, exhibitors will not forget this. What does that threat mean? Well, it's not a threat. It's it's a simple statement of fact. I mean, we were in and are in a crisis situation. The way that Universal announced it, the way they described it, were deeply unhelpful to theatrical. It added to the perception that there was this existential threat beyond the coronavirus. That is simply not the case. And theater owners will, of course, make their own determinations in the future and, as always, about what they do in terms of studio policies. When this crisis is over, the business model still obtains. Shortened windows do not make the studios any more money. We have some data that we're, we're getting looked at that suggests that the studios actually make less money in the home when they have shorter windows. And you can look over the last 15 years and show the just incredible shrinkage of the transactional home video market. It's gone from $24.9 billion in 2004 to $9.3 billion last year. It's a 62% decline. People are not, their behavior in their home is not going toward transactional home video. What it's going toward is streaming, and streaming is in the second or third window, so people can obviously wait. If people say they're not going to watch it theatrically, they're pretty much saying no to it. Larger, publicly held theater chains might have access to credit or cash that smaller independent chains or mom-and-pop operators of theaters don't. Is there a greater threat, do you think, to the smaller chains or the independent theaters than there are to the bigger chains right now? I think the threat is across the board, and one of the elements of the relief package that's being negotiated in Congress right now and with the administration is for small business administration loans that will be aimed directly at the kind of businesses that you're talking about, the smaller theater companies, smaller uh, uh, mom-and-pop kind of owned things across the country. And there's also the element of the loan guarantees that will be aimed at larger companies generally. And, and that's what's necessary for theater owners. It's what's necessary for restaurant owners and bars and restaurants, all these things that right now have either extremely reduced revenue or no revenue at all. They've got to get through this period of time because I think what, what the real risk here is, along with the need to you know, fight this pandemic and, and get that under control, is when it's done, we can't have destroyed the economy. And you, know, you talk about vital businesses, but these are vital businesses in every community across the country. 
Patrick Corcoran is the vice president and chief communications officer for the National Association of Theater Owners. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Coming up next on The Frame, a summer camp for kids with disabilities produces some of the adult leaders in the fight for access and disability rights. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Will Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. There is a new Netflix documentary that tells the story of a unique summer camp in Woodstock, New York, that was founded in 1952. It became one of the few places where teens and young adults with all sorts of disabilities could be themselves without fear of judgment or discrimination at a time when many were institutionalized. The documentary has the provocative title, Crip Camp, Footage from 1971 features several campers, including the film's co-director, Jim Lebrecht, who would go on to lead the National Movement for Disability Rights. I spoke with Lebrecht and co-director Nicole Noonan after the film's January premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. A random hotel room in Park City, and this is part of the story, isn't it? Because how we got here, I think, is part of what this movie is about. So Jim... We tried to have you up to our condo, and we had some issues about whether or not your wheelchair was going to make up a ramp that we had improvised up the two steps. So we came back to this hotel, and what happened when we tried to get up to your hotel room? Well, the hotel fortunately found a room for us on the second floor to hold the interview, and so I go into the elevator with you and Electra, our PR person, and we hit the second floor button, and we didn't move. And it's like, we got stuck in the elevator. And I'm thinking, oh, this is good. This is like about two hours from our opening night at Sundance. And I said, okay, well, Nicole, have a good time is what I was thinking. Because your co-director wasn't in the elevator, but the other elevator here doesn't go to the room. There are steps between it and your room. And for me, this is eye-opening. What we encountered at our condo, what I saw happen here, access is so critical. And a little thing like an elevator that doesn't work means you cannot do what you have to do. Well, it's you kind of wind up feeling like they don't expect you to come along or they're not thinking that anybody who's a director on a film is a wheelchair user. Obviously, we finally got out of the elevator and... The engineer said, yeah, this happens once in a while. And I'm thinking in my mind, it's like it wasn't important. You figured if the elevator is unreliable, people can take the stairs until someone like me comes along. And I think that really gets back to the heart of this film uh, about what Crip Camp is really about. So, Nicole, I want to ask you about how you started working with Jim on this film, where it began, and what the first conversations were about. Yeah, so I've worked with Jim for 15 years. He's a legendary sound designer for documentary films, and he had um, done the sound design and sound mixing on three of my previous feature documentaries. And over the years, I really watched Jim kind of um, 
grow as an activist and advocate um, around uh, representation for people with disabilities and also uh, filmmakers with disabilities. And he started having conversations with me and other filmmakers about stories that he wasn't seeing in all the documentaries that he was mixing around disability and the, and the kinds of representation that he'd like to see. So yeah, we were having lunch and kind of catching up in between projects and he pitched me several stories around disability. And then at the end of the lunch, he said, you know, though, what I've really always wanted to see a film made about was my summer camp. And then what he told me just completely blew my mind. I mean, literally just the description of it blew my mind, right? This kind of like hippie, wild um, utopia down the road from Woodstock where kids and counselors experienced such profound liberation that they were all still in touch many years later. And so many of them had gone on to become leaders or foot soldiers in the disability rights movement. So we started exploring how we might make a film together about the story, but we still had the problem of kind of figuring out what would we show? What would you see at the camp? I want to ask about language. And your film is called Crip Camp. And I want to make sure that I'm using the right words and why that is the title that you chose and what kind of ownership that means to call this film Crip Camp. We knew that this title would be rather edgy. And it wasn't, like, safe or that it would be controversial. But it exactly sets the tone for the film. That this is not the kind of disability film that you're used to seeing. I once, actually here in this building a few years ago, I was talking to a woman saying, yeah, there's this film I'm working on. It's about the summer camp for the handicapped, quote-unquote handicapped. And she said, aww. And I said, no, no, you, you got to understand. Uh, I went there because I heard I could smoke dope at the counselors. And it was like, oh, okay, right? So the word, basically, a number of us in the community, and not everybody agrees with this, have tried to reclaim the word crip or cripple. And it was very, very derogatory in the way it was used. And um, But that... In essence, those of us that really kind of identify culturally that this is part of who we are, we use that term to, to kind of identify that way with each other. And it's also to an extent shorthand. A friend of mine said, you know, hey, did you go to Crip Camp? As opposed to saying, did you go to a summer camp for people with disabilities? It's like, yeah, did you go to Crip Camp? Or even the blue parking spots. We say, let's go to that movie theater because they have plenty of Crip parking. I feel like it really is an important uh, thing that we're trying to get across with this film. The, the unique thing about it is that it's a story that's told from the community, kind of from the inside out, through Jim's perspective, and then through a conversation that Jim has through interviewing all of these other friends that he went to camp with. And so it was important to us that the title represent you know, that, that it's like a, that it's a community told story and the community holds that word. And also that it represent the kind of badass spirit of the people in the film and what they fought for and how they fought. We're talking with Nicole Noonan and Jim Lebrecht, the directors of the documentary Crip Camp. Jim is also a subject of the documentary. Jim, I'm going to ask you about the camp and about how transformative it was for you because it seems like an extraordinary place, even looking at it now in retrospect. How important was it for you personally in terms of what happened to that camp and how it changed the person you became? I think that as, as you get older, you really realize these moments in your life. I knew that at that camp when I was there, I wasn't a burden. I was one of the cool kids. And I started learning about the community and 
about Judy Hewen, who's a central character in our film and who's really one of the more important civil rights leaders in our community. She was there. She had been a camper and she was a counselor. And I learned about the fact that she had sued for a teaching position and that she had started this organization called Disabled in Action. And I, I realized what, I mean, we can, we can fight back. The, what the discrimination and segregation we're experiencing is unacceptable, that we shouldn't just be here happy for whatever crumbs we're getting. So for me, it was a combination of having two months that I could just be a teenager and also starting to really get the sense of disability pride and that there was something I could do about the situation I was in, which from a very young age I thought was incredibly unfair that I wasn't allowed to do things. There is clearly intentionally a lot of conversation about the sex lives of people with disabilities and how they are telling people, I'm a sexual person, even if you don't picture me as being one. That seems to really address something that I think a lot of people have trouble understanding. Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that we felt was really important from the beginning, because from the very first time Jim talked to me about this camp, he said, you know, that if we could tell the story of this camp, it would really expand people's idea of what living with disability is, because at the camp, you were just a kid. And, you know, just because you have a disability doesn't mean your hormones don't kick in as a teenager. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I met my first girlfriend at that camp. Jim, this is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disability Act. When you think about the conversations that you hope this documentary sparks and what the conversations about access are going forward, what are your hopes? What do you think this film can contribute to that conversation? I mean, access is a very important part of what people with disabilities live with, but the disabled community has a very wide umbrella. And it includes people with intellectual disabilities. It includes people with mental illness. It includes uh, people with autism. So, and, you know, hidden disabilities. So beyond just getting a wheelchair into a space, we really hope that it sparks this conversation about how we treat each other. And our film really shows the disabled community in an incredibly personal way in a way that isn't um, spectacular or over the top and it's not tragic, it's just real. And it's in our voices that you're hearing it. And then it's the hope that, you know, uh, at the end of it, you kind of say, wow, I, uh, I had a lot of misconceptions and I wanna have a beer with that person or I want that person now to be my friend. Because if you're afraid to joke with somebody or you're not gonna hire them or you're not gonna date them and so just our hope is that we're going to really spark these kinds of conversations about what it really means to have a disability and that it's not all tragedy. There's a lot of humor and incredible people within the community. And, and Jim, I would say, I'm going to get stuck in an elevator with you. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Jim and Nicole, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan are the directors of Crip Camp. Its executive producers are Michelle and Barack Obama. The documentary is on Netflix starting March 25th. Up next on The Frame, even drive-in theaters are now closed. 
but one of our contributors got in just under the wire. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Roll Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. With COVID-19 continuing to spread, there are fewer and fewer things that we can all do outside the home. Movie theaters were one of the first to go. And now, as of this weekend, drive-in theaters, where you can be safely ensconced in your car while taking in a movie, have just been shut down. But before that happened, the Frame contributor Colin Friesen and his wife Stephanie Chekowski went to Montclair to take in a double bill at the Mission Tiki Drive-In. Okay, the car is now gassed up. I have cleaned the windshield because that's what you do before you go to a drive-in theater. And my wife is just coming back with stuff. Then I got some movie popcorn, Indiana popcorn, kettle corn, and sea salt popcorn, and then a couple of Diet Cokes. Now, why would you buy that when we're going to a theater that is going to sell them? Movie popcorn is usually done in a big barrel thing. And they scoop it, and they may be wearing gloves, but... mm. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's being paranoid or really smart. Maybe it's just being both. All right. Date night. Say hello. Can you see it? Where? Oh, yeah. Mission Tiki something. Entrance. Entrance, okay. Sorry. I mean, can you show a movie in the rain? I don't know. We're about to find out. What are we going to see? We are going to see Invisible Man... And then Birds of Prey. Do we have to do a double feature? Where's your sense of adventure? That's a lot of hours of movies. I'm going to have to pee, and I don't want to go inside. Good. You guys open? Yes, we are. Woo-hoo! <laughs> and six feet away. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Everybody's got their space here. That's great. Uh, do you take credit cards? Do I pay yes. here? Yes, we do. Okay. Two. Gently. Look, you can do it. Two. <laughs> You're already in the number two lane. If you stay in between the white lines and then go around the snack bar when you get there, and then your radio's the 100.5 FM. Terrific. Sweet. How's business been? Uh, it's actually not doing too bad. I mean, it is spring break. We should be doing better, but it's yeah. not, it ain't yeah. that bad, you know? As soon as people realize they can just stay in their car and not have to interact with other human yes, beings, exactly, I think they'll be in great know? shape. I know. It's going to be like a, it's gonna be a <laughs> gangbuster. It's safe. It's one of the safer places, not safe here. Safe yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Follow left, two all the way to the left. Okay. It'll take you right into the snack So I'm going to get lost. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> Bye. Oh, there's the big tiki-themed snack bar. Ah, tiki-themed snack bar. Do you think they make um, Mai Tais? Probably not. I'm pretty it's probably sure against the law. Can, you cannot drink while you're in your car at a movie. Okay. And then on the gray container over there, we have a small package of milk salt, okay? Is that your first time here? It yeah. is. Oh, okay, nice. How's business been? Uh, not so great lately. Very <laughs> slow. Yeah, it's been very slow. But, but it's perfect because people don't have to interact. Yeah, yeah, the thing is, the people who are making baker, the ones letting the people in, but we're not because it's a restaurant. Uh, yeah. 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 Of course. Thank you. Have a great night. We're gonna have to leave the uh, windshield wipers on. It's. <laughs> I guess it's really great that you uh, clean the windshields. <laughs> 
So when was the last time you were at a drive-in movie? I've only been to a drive-in movie once. Um, and it was Planet of the Apes in American Pie 2, I think, or something. The very first movie experience I remember was my parents taking me to a drive-in movie. What did you see? Oh, what do you think? The Ten Commandments. Oh, my God. You know, wholesome family fun. We got in our pajamas, and there was a big playground structure in front of the screen. And before the sun went down, you ran out there in your pajamas. I can't remember if we wore shoes or not. I assume we were wearing shoes. You could have had those, those pajamas with the feet. The, the we may have been feet. in little feety pajamas, yeah. but, uh, you know, we weren't rich like some people, so we, <laughs> we had to suffer without. Do me a favor and tune the radio okay. to... 100.5 FM. Turn the radio to 100.5 FM. The White House says it will follow up... Oh! There's nothing left. I have to say, seeing a horror movie at a drive-in is super creepy. Um, seeing a horror movie at a drive-in at a time when things are out there that you can't see that might potentially kill you, and every trailer is for a movie about yeah, but, something you can't see that might potentially kill you. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, it's a little like, I'm just kind of like, okay, let's go home now. What's going on? We found a part of a man in the woods today. Part of the man? But there's a lot of people, there's a lot more people here than I thought there'd be. A lot of families, a lot of smaller kids that I'm Should like, not be watching this movie. <laughs> I would know. That's for damn sure. Um, it's a fun idea, but yeah. as a cinematic experience, if you really want to appreciate a movie, this isn't necessarily the way to do it, simply yeah. because it never gets dark enough. Yeah, there's so much light point. pollution that that's you're sort true. of watching a not perfectly illuminated film and it's a it gets a it's a little frustrating and if it's raining it's more frustrating because you have to have the wiper blades on that's true uh, how do we get out i have no idea we can turn back on the headlights yeah i don't wanna i feel like these people are becoming friends or something they it's don't weird. know what's going on i know it makes me nervous i kind of feel like there's you know somebody's car oh, oh they're oh. jumping see look at people being neighborly that's really nice. I know. That's the best thing ever. Hope those jumper cables are six feet long. Oh, otherwise, yeah. they're violating all sorts of things. Oh, yeah, well. How do we get out of here? I'd follow, yeah, I'd go this way. That was Frame contributors Colin Friesen and Stephanie Tchaikovsky. And that'll do it for today. But just a note before we go... All the coverage of the coronavirus you hear on KPCC is free, but it costs a lot to produce it. When you donate to KPCC, you can help us reach our spring fundraising goal, and you'll help unlock a $10,000 challenge. And you can also help feed families in need right here in Southern California. Choose meals from the LA Regional Food Bank as your thank you gift. So please give now at kpcc.org and thanks. I'm John Horn. Hang in there. Be safe, be healthy, be kind. We're back here tomorrow at the Moan Broadcast Center.